0: In many ways, I feel that photography, for me, is graphic design. Because when you're a graphic designer, he gets a bunch of photographs, you get some text, he gets a headline, he gets a logo. He has to uh, create a visual hierarchy. And in my photography, it's, I feel it's the same thing. You know, you look at the scene, And then you pick out like, okay, this is my main subject. This is the most important part of my image. So I have to make sure that um, whether by framing or by light, or by viewpoint, you know, I have to make sure that the viewer's attention is first drawn to the main subject and then to other elements.
1: Graphic designer turned multi award winning nature photographer, Marcel van Osten there on visual hierarchy. More from Marcel in a minute, but first, Welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast, where we go beyond camera brands and settings with some of the best photographers in the world. My name is Graham Jargi, I'm a professional photographer from Aberdeen in Scotland, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm in a busy spell photography wise with corporate headshots, casting headshots and some industrial stuff today. So busy with the camera, and busy with the computer for all the back end stuff, processing, backup, admin, and at the very, very last minute, putting together this, the final episode of the podcast for this season. These 10 episodes have been so full of inspiration right from the start with Paul Sanders and his idea of receiving photographs, which seems to have kind of carried through more or less every episode in this batch. Uh, There have been some really special moments for me on a personal level, especially talking with my all-time favourite photographer, Gregory Heisler, which was such an exciting moment for me. Preparing for that call and doing the call itself stirred something up in me that I'd really forgotten was there. And not only has my photography journey taken a new direction, but I'm definitely a better and more focused photographer as a result. And I'm grateful for that. I've learned a lot from all my guests this season. So thank you to Paul Sanders, Kai Hornung, Alex Mustard, Dylan Nardini, Neil Benvey, Mark Wilson, Gregory Heisler, Scott Hargis, Nicola Kostic and today's guest, Marcel van Austen, for really making the show what it is. If you haven't already, I would really encourage you to check out the other episodes from the season and the two previous seasons. I'm sure that just like me, you'll be challenged and inspired to take bold new steps on your photography journey. Most of all, thanks to you, the listeners who over this past year that I've been making the show have tuned in from 63 countries all around the world. I'm just amazed by that. The reach that this podcast has is phenomenal. So thank you so, so much. Wherever you are on planet Earth, I'd love to connect with you. Find me on Instagram at Graham dargie, And you can also follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, where you can catch up on previous episodes with amazing guests like Jim Richardson, Howard Schatz, Osborne Masharia, Valda Bailey, Eric Parry, Agnes Limbaum, Donna Krauss, all the way back to Audrey Wollard on the very first episode, which came out almost a year ago to the day. Viewfinders is sponsored by MPB, the world's largest online platform for buying, selling and trading used camera gear. If you've got something in your camera bag you don't use anymore, Why not trade it to MPB? MPB makes it easy and anything you buy comes with a six month warranty. There's a link in the show notes where you can get a valuation for your kit. Thanks to MPB who have sponsored this season of the show. I seriously recommend you check them out. Right then, on to this week's show, a very, very special guest. Marcel van Osten is a nature photographer based in South Africa, originally from the Netherlands. Marcel has some serious credentials. As well as being a regular contributor to National Geographic, he's also won Wildlife Photographer of the Year, Travel Photographer of the Year, Landscape Photographer of the Year, European Wildlife Photographer of the Year, IPA Nature Photographer of the Year, the National Geographic Traveler Award, and many, many more accolades. Hey, let's just call him the undisputed champion of nature photography. Before photography, Marcel had a successful career in advertising and our conversation. Uh, he shares the amazing story of how he took a year long journey around Africa to build his portfolio when he began his career as a nature photographer. This is some great story. You're going to want to hear this. Marcel has just published a coffee table book, Mother, a tribute to Mother Earth, which draws on his epic portfolio to shine a light on some of the threats that our planet is facing. We talk about the making of the book, about how his background in advertising and graphic design informs his photography, what he's thinking when he looks through the viewfinder and much, much more. It's always great to hear the thoughts of people who are the very best at what they do. And Marcel is undoubtedly one of the best nature photographers working today. I felt very lucky to have this conversation. I feel very privileged to share it with you today. I hope you enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Marcel van Osten. Hi, Marcel. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi,
0: Graham. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm doing well.
1: Yeah, You're well, you're welcome. I'm so um, looking forward to talking to you today. When I look at your work, I mean, you're shooting amazing subjects, uh, fantastic locations all over the world and um, obviously very, very good. Technically, it's beautifully observed work, beautifully composed. Um, But I think the real power of your work, I think, is that you have such a connection and empathy with your subjects. And I think that really takes your work is what takes your work to another level. I'm really excited to dig into some of these things with you today. But um, let's go back to the beginning. I think you live in South Africa, right? But you grew up in the Netherlands. Yeah, I was
0: born and raised in the Netherlands and I lived there for most of my most of my life, and it's
1: only the past three years that we uh, that we are living in South Africa. Oh, really? I didn't realize it was as recent as that. Yes. Um, OK, and so when did photography come into your life? Were you um, because I think you had a career before uh, with um, advertising. Can you tell us about that phase of your life?
0: Yeah, so I, I, <coughs> I started uh, studying Dutch lang- language and literature in the university in the Netherlands. And then after two years, decided to go to art school. And in art school, I uh, had the opportunity to pick photography as a as a, as a major or as a course. And um, at that time, I didn't like it at all, so I, I I sort of ignored it. And I I had a bachelor in bachelor degree in Edford in what is it art direction and graphic design. And then I became an art director in, uh, in advertising. I did that for 15, uh, 15 years. And as an art director, you always work with the copyrights and together you make camp- well, advertising campaigns. So the, we were uh, basically responsible for the creative part. So we came up with the creative concepts. And then every time a client approved the campaign, I had to select a photographer who would then photograph that campaign for me. Um, so I would be basically the client for that photographer. and um, that's how I sort of got introduced to photography in a very serious uh, serious way because I was then responsible um, for f- well for the, for the work that that uh, photographer would uh, would create. And uh, over the years, I worked with, with so many photographers, all different ranging from landscape photographers to car photographers. I did a ton of uh, car advertising for seven different car brands, and, uh, but also ladies lingerie and uh, pet food and you name it, everything. So that means that I've worked with a lot of photographers shooting a lot of different uh, subject matter. And so in a very natural way, I've learned a great deal about uh, photography and just looking over the shoulders of all these different photographers. Mm -hmm. And that's also how I started to appreciate it more and started to get interested in photography myself. And Mm -hmm. eventually picked up a camera with the idea of uh, creating my own photographs. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a really good photography education, I think, to just to spend time with those you know, high level photographers. But when you picked up the camera, then I read on your website, you, it was a sort of a stress reliever for you uh, as a hobby. What kind of photography were you doing at the very beginning, for you,
0: yeah. So at the very beginning, I I started like most photographers. I think that uh, I, I, I only brought the camera basically on holidays. So wherever I spent my holiday, that's where I did all my all my uh, picture taking. So that means that um, in the very early days, it was mostly like travel photography, and um, and when I was back home. If I took photographs, it was usually also like a little bit of everything, basically. I was not really focused on one thing. Um, I also did still life that I liked and uh, just like street photography. And I was literally basically still searching for um, what I would uh, later pick. And in hindsight, it, it baffles me that it took me that long to figure out what I actually wanted to do because it, it should have been so clear uh, based on the fact that I always spent so much time in, um, in nature. I always
1: loved watching nature documentaries. I love animals. I love being outside. And so, uh, yeah, I read on your website that you had a trip to Tanzania which seemed to be a, a pivotal moment. Can you describe what happened there? It wasn't, I'd like to know, I was interested to know what happened on that trip that really switched things on for you.
0: Yeah, so before, in 2001, I married my, uh, my now wife, Daniela. And uh, so before that time, I was basically photographing a little bit of everything. And then we decided to go on a honeymoon to Tanzania. And that's when I realized that... Um, this would be serious you know i was for the first time i was going to shoot uh, wild animals i'd never been to africa before i had never been on the safari so i was really like trying to um, think about like what what kind of gear do i need and um, how do i need to prepare and, and this was in still in the early days of uh, of, the, of the internet basically 2001 and I found this online community called Nikonians, which is just a, a huge community of Nikon users. And I figured, you know, why don't I just ask there what uh, what I need? Uh, what, what do I need to bring? How do we need to prepare? And I got a, a lot of good advice. And so I was, I was well prepared in terms of gear. And then when we were in Tanzania on the safari, I was just blown away by the whole experience. It was uh, was like way, way more better than I ever imagined it to be. And mm-hmm. right there, I decided, you know, this is what I want. This is wanted. What I want to do much more of. And mm-hmm. from that moment on, it was like very clear for me that um, wildlife nature was going to be my primary subject to to focus on so in end, that sense it was a yeah, it was a pivotal moment
1: can you talk about um maybe a bit more about the power of that experience of being in tanzania on the safari what was it about the the experience the sights the the smells the atmosphere that really got into you do you think
0: well you know i uh, growing up in the netherlands you there's not a lot of like raw nature like everything is plant and everything is—it's uh, all culture. So even the even the forests—they are so well maintained. You know, it looks like everything is planted. And uh, so I'd never really been in contact with like pure, raw, wild nature. And so, it's, so then it's hard to imagine what it's going to be. And when we were there, it's well it's, you use the words already. It's like it's the sounds and the, and the smells. And just the, the vastness, and um, like the chaos, and just like the total opposite of um, what what I was used to uh, in my with my normal life in in the Netherlands, and um, also it was the total opposite of the of the of the line of work that I was in. So in advertising, everything is make believe, everything is. Um, Everything is created. So mm-hmm. every every message, you know, it's it, every photograph, every advert, advert it's all a make believe world is totally uh, made up. And um, so not like not real, you know, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. sort of like a fake, fake world that you that you live in. And for me, I, I literally lived in it because it was my it was my work. Mm-hmm. And um, so my first safari was um, was, it was the total opposite. It was it was so refreshing in that in that way. That it was so so pure and so real. You know, everything is exactly the way it is supposed to be, and it is not like mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not like a facade. Mm-hmm. And, and that I was really drawn to the to the rawness and the, the pureness. Of that whole yeah.
1: experience. Yeah, I can agree with that. I've got some experience in Africa. Um, my wife comes from Kenya, ah, okay. so you know, and it's the, the authenticity. I think is the word mm. I, I would use to sum yeah. up maybe what you're describing. Yes, that is is just so appealing about you know down there. I can speak about Kenya. I can't talk about the whole of Africa, but um, it's just just an authenticity about the whole experience that is just it brings you to life. I think. Mm. Um, and so okay so from there did you you started you then you realized okay this is what i want to do so did you start to go go back to tanzania or or explore other parts of africa what was your journey from from there to when you moved to south africa
0: well that's actually so when i came back then i have i was like totally inspired and i wanted to do more uh, more animal photography but realized that i was not particularly good at it yet and that i needed to practice this a lot more so I, um, I I decided to, like, visit zoos, you know, to just try to um, to photograph animals in a, like, a controlled uh, environment just to see how that would go. And then, um, yeah, I got more and more serious about that. Uh, but at the same time, I just had my day job. So I was just uh, working in advertising. And... Mm-hmm. Around that time, I decided to uh, to start my own advertising agency. So that's, um, yeah, that was like a very uh, hectic decision because that uh, just um, went to take a lot of risk because I had to put uh, a lot of money in the, in the company. So those were exciting times and very busy times. So I didn't have uh, as much time to to focus on my hobby. Anymore, and that was basically the start of my last phase in um, in advertising because um, When I had my own company In the beginning and really liked it and then well, especially because I've realized that as a creative person, it's just really nice to be your own boss and to be able to uh, to decide for yourself which clients you want to work for and which ones you don't so that was all that was all very nice but then like after a year i realized you know in the end it's basically still the same thing so i i did, i started to get frustrated with clients and uh frustrated with my with my work and um and then i realized that i was Really fleeing into photography constantly. Mm-hmm. So uh, my my then um, serious hobby uh, became like therapy for me. Mm-hmm. and every every free moment I wanted to photograph, I wanted to be outside. So then I would get up super early, drive to like a, a nature reserve uh, just outside of Amsterdam, and photograph there around sunrise and then drive from there
1: straight to the office and then
0: have, uh, well, have enough energy for the,
1: for the day. And so now you run uh, photography tours and safaris all over the place. And so was there a point where you, you just one thing took over the other? Did the photography just take over or did people start to ask you to take you to these places? Or how did that come about?
0: So then I have to take two steps back. Um, so eventually I got so frustrated with my uh, with my work in advertising that I decided uh, it's now or never. And I want to become a full-time nature photographer. And so I did that, which was a, a massive, massive jump into the deep. And then I realized, um, well, I talked about it obviously with, uh, with my wife and, um, and then we decided, well, we really have to give this some very serious thought as to how are we going to make this work? Because, uh, I mean, in advertising, you can make good money, but I've, I knew from the start that in nature photography, it would, there would not be a lot of money to be made. Mm-hmm. And um, so we decided to have a brainstorm and um, we locked ourselves in a hotel in, on one of the Dutch islands so off season I'm very quiet no distractions and um, so we brainstormed there for a weekend coming up with all kinds of ideas and the the most important idea that we had was um, i didn't have a good portfolio because if you only take photographs on your holidays you don't shoot a lot so you go on a holiday maybe twice a year if you're lucky so that's that's not a whole lot of subject matter And so I realized that before I can stand a chance as a professional photographer, I first need to work on a portfolio. And that meant that I wanted to travel for a full year in Africa to just shoot, 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 shoot. So then after that year, I would have a massive portfolio of uh, all the African wildlife. So we made a very elaborate plan as to where I wanted to go uh, and what f- species I wanted to photograph, what time of year, et cetera, et cetera. We had all these printouts made. It was like a whole calendar and we we, uh, we put it up on the wall. And then uh, by the time we decided, okay, this is the perfect plan. Then my wife started calculating well, what it would cost. And um, the, the the cost, it was like a, I think it was like a hundred thousand euros or something. It was insane. So we were like, okay, well that's not gonna work because I, I mean I saved something uh, some money, but um, that would be uh, that would be that that was just serious money. So then we realized that well, we, we can't just spend hundred thousand uh, euros just on a, on a year traveling. So we had to come up with a plan as to how are we going to get 100,000 euros to do that. And then we thought uh, we, have to, we have to create something that and we have to create something that's, that we can sell or that's worth money. And we came up uh, with uh, the idea to create a book and uh, a book on safari lodges. Because then we would be able to sell the book to the lodges. And that means that then we could charge the lodges money instead of paying the lodges money. So okay. <laughs> um, that was the, the real benefit of, <laughs> of having the, all that advertising experience. So that's what we did. We made a, we made a plan. I made a very big uh, digital dummy and we approached uh, a lot of the, the, the lodges that I wanted to go to. So all the, all the high end lodges with the best, uh, mm-hmm. the, the best game viewing. And like it took a little while, but then very quickly uh, one after the other said yes, and then before we knew, before we knew it, we had uh, we had all these lodges. Uh, I think it was forty eight lodges that had all said uh, yes. We want to be part of this uh, project, and um, and then we also managed to get all our flights sponsored. Uh, uh, the the small flights, so the, the domestic flights, uh, mm-hmm. our rental cars, etc. So instead of spending 100,000 euros for a year in Africa, we actually got paid uh, for the for the entire uh, project. And then uh, when the project started, that was that was very interesting because obviously I had sold myself as a uh, professional nature photographer and uh, who was going to make all these super high quality images and not only that uh, the idea behind the book was that i was not only going to photograph the wildlife and the landscapes i was also going to photograph the lodges themselves the activities Mm -hmm. that they do the food that they serve because we figured that that would be more well would make the entire project more interesting for the for the lodges so Mm -hmm. I had never photographed food before. I'd never photographed a lodge inside or outside. So um, I just w- did everything on instinct. Uh, luckily my wife also worked in advertising. So we both had uh, quite a lot of experience on, on sets and on mm-hmm. shoots, etc. So we had seen other photographers shoot food. We had seen other <laughs> photographers shoot interiors. So uh, with all that experience and the memories, we sort of just started, and um and it was stressful in a sense that there was uh, a lot of uh, psychological like say, yeah pressure on my mm-hmm. shoulders um, because I, well, a lot of times I wondered like what like, what i what did I get myself into, yeah. but eventually you know it actually it worked out very very nicely, and um everything looked great, We were happy and um and that whole year, it, it it flew by. It was extremely hard work, um, but it worked out exactly the way we wanted it, because at the end, uh, when it finished, uh, I had a very large uh, large portfolio, Africa portfolio mm-hmm. and
1: a book. This is the best story I've ever heard. What a <laughs> smart way to go about it. Um, and so were you able to, to lean on those connections to go forward, to build the business after that? Yes,
0: yes. Um, because there was also there were lodges who didn't want to pay us like uh, like like in in money, and we said, well, if you don't want to pay us, it's fine. Then you're just going to pay us in uh, in nights, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's quite a few that did that. So that was that was actually also very nice because then uh, after the project was finished, we returned to Africa and we would just yeah we could go to a, a lot of lodges. and and stay there for free and basically Mm. uh, uh, relive the entire experience and uh, Mm. do a lot more, a lot more photography. And uh, there's still lodges uh, that we visited for the first time for the book uh, that we still visit now uh, up Mm. to this day.
1: Okay, this that's just such an amazing story. I'm so impressed by how you've put that together. <laughs> Let me ask you quickly about Namibia, because I saw on your website that that you said that was your favorite place. Can you talk a little bit about what it is that makes Namibia such a special place for you?
0: When I was still in, in advertising, uh, as an art director, you get a lot of requests from photographers who want to show you their portfolio. Uh, obviously, because they want to, well, they hope that you like the portfolio and, and that you hire them. And um, I've, I still very vividly remember uh, one day there was a photographer who visited me and uh, showed uh, showed his portfolio. And there was a lot of uh, was a lot of travel uh, kind of photography, and, and he showed a couple of images, and that was a place that I had never ever seen before. So this was re- this was actually before internet. So uh-huh. um, I've, never, I've never seen that before and I was just amazed by the, the landscape and uh, very surreal looking. So uh, that was just in my, in my memory. And then when Daniela and I were making the book, um, I knew that Namibia was gonna be on the top of my list because I, I really wanted to see those places for myself. And mm-hmm. then when we uh, were there for the first time, Yeah, that was just amazing. Um, It is so different from all the other countries in Africa. It is, uh, it is super wild, but it's also very barren. Uh, It is very empty. It's one of the least densely populated countries in the world. So there's not a lot Mm -hmm. of people there. You can drive for hours and hours on end without seeing uh, another person, especially back then. And. Everywhere we went, all those landscapes, it was just it was 100% what I love in terms of uh, aesthetics. So it was Mm -hmm. just uh, the I love trees and the trees there are all uh, amazing looking, very, uh, very photogenic and very, very, very different from anything else. And deserted diamond mining town and also extremely surreal. I think I think surreal is probably the best word to des- to describe uh, my my experience there. And it was actually when I started posting my first images on the internet uh, uh, years later. I got so many comments and requests from people like, uh, "Oh, the next time you go there, I, I want to come along." Mm-hmm. And that was actually the reason why uh, my wife and I decided to start running photographic tours, which back then was, uh, was only a handful of people that did that internationally. Mm-hmm. So we still had to figure out a lot, of like how to how to do that. But Namibia was the country that started everything for us in that sense.
1: I wanted to ask you specifically about your thoughts when you have the camera in hand, your eyes in the viewfinder, because I think composition is is, your compositions are so strong. And I read on your website, you tried to simplify, get rid of extraneous. um, Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Um, I wondered if you can talk a bit about your approach to composition when the camera's at your eye. What are you thinking at that moment in time?
0: so I'm, I'm extremely outspoken in a sense that uh, i know very very well what i like and uh, what i don't like that there's never a uh, there's n- never any doubt and i like my images to be very very clean I like extremely clean um, i like them to be hyper organized so that means that, uh, for instance, I, I, I want there to be a clear um, visual hierarchy so that there's no confusion as to where to look first. It's important for me. I've always focused on clear on clean outlines um, and uh, strong shapes and graphic lines. And ideally um, I want my subjects to be separated from each other. And I go through great lengths to try to achieve that, even though that's usually, it's kind of difficult uh, in nature to accomplish that. But my my favorite photographs are always very clean, very graphic, they're totally uncluttered and uh, almost sterile. Uh, I I hear that a lot. Some people say your work looks so sterile. And uh, I know that they mean it in like a negative way, like devoid of emotion. And for me it's actually a compliment because uh, i i love my images to be like like very very neat almost uh like almost staged like that that you think like it's uh like oh my god how is it possible that it that all those elements are so perfectly positioned inside mm-hmm. the inside the frame so that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking of and looking for when i look through the viewfinder
1: i was wondering uh, if you're training in graphic design and Obviously that's about, there's a visual language there, adding in advertising. I, I don't know anything about advertising, but I suppose you're trying to connect or, or uh, create a, an emotional response with the viewer uh, with advertising. How much do those, does that background feed into your photography language?
0: Yeah, so a lot. Um, uh, both do in a different way. So the graphic design part is very important because... Um, in many ways I feel that photography for me is is still f- uh, graphic design because mm-hmm. the, 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 the what I do it feels like the same. Uh, when you're a graphic designer he gets a bunch of photographs, he gets some text, he gets a headline, he gets a logo and then he has to try to arrange all those elements uh, within the within the, 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 the boundaries of, of, a, of a page. And he has, to, uh, he has to make it look attractive, uh, that that of course. And he also has to um, make sense. He has to try to, again, he has to uh, create a visual hierarchy so that it's very clear that you look at the, the visual first and then the, the headline, and then you start reading the body text and then you end up with the logo. So there's always this like particular order. And in my... F- Photography, it's. I feel it's the. It's the same thing, you know. You you look at the you look at the scene, and then you pick out like, okay, this is my main subject. This is this this is the most important part of my image. So I have to make sure that um, whether by framing or by light or by uh, or by viewpoint or angle, you know, I have to make sure that uh, the, the the viewer's attention is first drawn to the main subject and then to other elements, and. And also, st- my preferences are also the same. You know, and in, in when I had when I was designing, I had the same preferences as I have now um, with with photography, which is still two dimensional. Uh, so it's uh, many similarities. And then, as for advertising, what I learned is that in advertising, it's very important that you grab the attention of the viewer very very quickly, because um, no one asks for advertising and you're an uninvited guest so people who want to read a magazine or want to read the newspaper they don't actually want to see the ads um, so you have to be like really clever uh, in trying to come up with an idea to uh, seduce the viewer to actually look at your ad and uh, there's several ways to do that one is to just make sure that uh, what you're showing looks very intriguing Um, but also you have to make sure that it's very simple that your message is uncomplicated so it's single-minded message and then the third thing is that you have to do all that in like a couple of milliseconds Mm -hmm. and That is still part of my instinct. Now, when I take a photograph, I want everything to be not only from an aesthetic point of view, but also just from um, trying to make the image work is it it needs to grab your attention um, quickly and it needs to have a single minded uh, concept.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing, though. It's really interesting to hear that unpacked. Um, All experienced photographers will go into flow, I suppose, in that way. Not all of us have that um, education, though, I think, with mm-hmm. the with what you've spoken about there, which I think adds so much to your photography. I really wanted to ask you about your book, which is out now, uh, Mother, and you've just recently published it. Can you talk a bit about the idea behind the book and just tell us a little bit about the project, how it came together and, and what that's about?
0: Yeah, so um, in 2019, my wife and I decided that uh, we'd been traveling nonstop for years and years on end without uh, without a holiday. And we decided, you know, we're tired and uh, we're constantly in airports and airplanes and uh, just running. We need some time out. Uh, So we decided that we would have a a sabbatical uh, end of 2019 so then uh december half december 2019 our sabbatical started and um and then almost right away i was contacted by a publisher in the netherlands who um, said uh, would you not like to make a book nice photo book Mm -hmm. and so we we, decided to have a chat with them so we went to the publisher and uh, talked and then i thought you know this this is actually a good idea and this is a good time for it because i have no tours now i have um, i have all these months of uh, of free time so i thought this would be oh, it would, would be good because like f- i've been shooting for uh for 15 years so i have a ton of material uh, a lot of it is, uh, is is good quality for a book so i thought um this might be a golden opportunity for me to do it. And uh, so I told them, uh, well, I'm open to the idea, but I only want to do it if I can do it like my way. So I don't want to, I don't want to be restricted in my creativity. Um, and they were like very cooperative. They said, no, yeah, they're sure just, uh, whatever you want. So that's, that's how it started. And then I started thinking about the concept and, um, I knew already because I have uh, so many photographs of such different subject matter from all over the planet. And I thought, you know, this is nature has given me so much over the years and I wanted to just show my appreciation for for Mother Earth. And that's how I uh, thought about the idea of uh, it being a tribute. and that's how I came up with the, with the word mother because I attribute to Mother Earth. I really like the word mother also very much. It's so full full of emotion, and um, that's how it all started. And then obviously I didn't want it. To, I didn't want the book to be just a book with pretty pictures, because uh, that, to me that would be it would be too shallow. Then it would be just like a slideshow on paper. And so I decided that I wanted to use the opportunity to share my concerns about the, uh, the threats that Mother Earth is facing. So uh, a very strong conservation message uh, throughout the book. And I did that by uh, addressing it in the, in the, in the introduction. And uh, I did it um, by writing in the captions, every image has a caption. And most of the captions actually are right about the the, the, the threats that are facing that particular location or that particular
1: uh, animal. That is in a nutshell, how it uh, how it started. Um, it seems like it's a huge volume. I mean, it looks like a massive piece of work. And obviously, hundreds of pages, I think, that seems like that's the kind of project that would creating it would just be all consuming and, and take a, a lot of effort and energy. Um, you were saying before we hit record here that you'd been doing that well over the last year, obviously, but you were taking time out anyway, and then maybe the pandemic as well. So that's something you've been able to really throw yourself at these last year or so.
0: Yeah. So, um, so initially, I thought that I was going, just going to use my sabbatical to make this book because I thought I have so many images already processed. So um, I'm just gonna, you know, put the images in a book and just gonna uh, write captions, and then I should be finished in like three months. And
1: that um, that was, uh, that was uh, <laughs> even I yeah. know that's not realistic. Yeah, and
0: I, and I, and it's stupid because that first book that I told you about in the beginning that took me a year to make, and I did everything myself back then. So I did all the design, I did uh, you know everything, all the photographs, all the all the processing. So I, I should have known better than that. Uh, it, yet I, uh, when I started, I thought I would I would do this in three months. And then very quickly, I realized, oh, my God, uh, this is never going to work. And I I can't do this in three months. And then the pandemic started. And uh, then we suddenly all our tours were canceled. And at first, we didn't know how long this would take. But pretty quickly, we realized, oh, man, this is going to take much longer than anyone thought. And meantime, I was just working on the book. And um, I was just really apart from the from the stress that it caused in the beginning of not knowing what would happen to our business, I was really enjoying the extra time that I suddenly had uh, for the book. And it meant that uh, I could now do something that I hadn't even thought about, which was go back to the beginning and start uh, going through my archives from the very, very, very first uh, trips and just plow my way through there and see if there's anything that uh, I've uh, I forgot or uh, mm-hmm. ignored back then.
1: Yeah, were there things from way back that you rediscovered?
0: Really it was so interesting because um, what I what I then experienced was that there were so many images from like 15 years ago that I processed, and then I went back to that folder where the images came from, and then I saw what but why the hell did i process why did i pick that image there are others that are way Mm -hmm. better and i and Mm -hmm. but clearly at the time i didn't i didn't see that that way you know i ignored those i didn't give them a star (laughs) and I, i i gave like two or three stars to that image that i processed and i now look back and think that's that's wrong so I started re- reprocessing a lot of images, and I started processing all of these uh, all these files that I had been ignoring for um, for more than ten years. And that was uh, that was just so nice to do because it was almost like Christmas. You would open the folder, and every now and then there would be there would be all these presents in there. Be, and, and it would be so long long ago that uh a a lot of times i'd actually forgotten about it so i was like oh my god this is amazing how 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 come i've never like uh realized it and i think i spent in total almost four months just only going through the folders and uh, selecting images uh For the book, and it's because of the pandemic that I ended up with so many more images, and uh, and that also made the book a lot heavier and bigger, because I ended up with uh, much more pages. Which luckily the the publisher didn't mind, and so it's now the the Dutch edition is four hundred pages. So that's that's really it's it's a massive it's Mm. a massive body uh, body of work.
1: It looks amazing, and I from looking at your feed and your website, it just looks like something that would be a great thing to own. Um, people can get that on the on your website or there's a website for the book. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. But just so that we can say it out loud in case people don't check the show notes, what's the website for that?
0: Yeah, so I I created a dedicated website for the book. It's called mother Book com, And there I use the... I. Show some images, and I'll also uh, write about the different editions because there's a couple of different editions, and then there's also uh, ways to order them there. But you can also just find the book on Amazon where it's also uh, available. The one thing that people should realize is there's uh, there's two main editions. One is a Dutch edition, and that's actually uh, one that has more pages than the international edition. So that, that also explains the difference in price. And then okay. there's also a limited edition. And that's just a very extravagant uh, uh, version of the book with uh, a lot more pages and uh, double fold out and a very luxurious box. Uh, everything designed by me.
1: Okay, I was going to ask if you had had a hand in, de- in the design of it. So was that for the, the luxury or special edition? Um, that you did the design or, or I did the did design it?
0: for everything uh, so every the whole book I designed everything so from the typeface to the cover to the to to all the text and everything and um, okay yeah that's that's part of that's part of be, being a control freak so if you, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you if you like I said I have a very uh very clear opinion about what I like so it's, it's difficult then to give that part to someone else. So I decided I want mm-hmm. to do it myself. And um, knowing that it only makes the project
1: uh, take a lot longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. Uh, I have similar tendencies to that, but far less skilled. Um, <laughs> you must, how do you, how do you feel about the, that book now then having had it done and how it's out, you it must feel pretty special to have that completed.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy that I, I did that and um, it just feels like it's the perfect moment, uh, you know, looking back, it's at, like I said, 15 years of work and um, it is really, there's no comparison. You know, if you have images, images on your computer or you put them on the, on the, on the internet, you know, somewhere, somewhere it, it doesn't compare to either a print or, uh, or a printed page in a book. It's just completely different uh, from holding a book or looking at a, at a monitor. There's no comparison. So it is so much, so much nicer to feel the paper and to be able to like flip through, through a book. And um, your whole state of mind is also different. I think you, you, you sit down with a book and you, you take time, whereas online, you just start frantically clicking on everything and scrolling and it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's entirely different. But yeah, I'm happy because yeah. uh, because I had so much influence on everything. So it's um, I, I was able to control every every part of the of the process. And that's why you know it turned out the way that, uh, that I wanted it to.
1: You, obviously, you have this um, sense of control that you like to have. You're working in wild environments where you really can't control everything or or many things how do you balance those things when you're shooting where you're just in the wild but you have this need to just kind of have things just just the way you like them
0: yeah that's a good question because uh, part of being a wildlife photographer is uh, having to deal with the fact that you have so little influence over your subjects so in that sense it's um it's probably probably you can only compare it to a news photographer or something where it is similar um, this is both the most frustrating part of what i do the, the the not having any control it is also what makes it very attractive because it's a bit of like going to the you know going to the casino you know there's always this, this sense of the excitement you never know what you're going to get you might mm-hmm. You might return empty-handed, but you, you also might win the jackpot, and uh, luckily that wins that happens every now and then. Um, that said, um, I still try to uh, get as much control as possible over the over the over the situation um, in in different ways. So, for instance, one way is to be able to predict what's going to happen and uh, mm-hmm. the way to do that is to learn about animal behavior both from just mm-hmm. looking it up and also from experience you know you after a while you start to learn how an animal behaves and um, and also you just know the routines you know okay that the temperature is dropping or the the, the the light is dropping so now it's animals probably going for a drink you know and mm-hmm. knowing that then you have more control because then you know almost certain what's going to happen. So then I can make sure that I'm at the perfect location at the perfect at the right time. And then the only thing is I have to wait for the animal to uh, to appear. Uh, I still have very little control because I have no control over how the animal is going to pose for me, what direction it's going to face, uh, if it's going to do anything interesting, you know, if it's on time for sunset or. <laughs> You know, maybe it's too early, then I have crappy lights. Maybe it's too late, then the light is gone. So all these things um, are difficult, but I, I always try to control it by uh, learning as much as possible about the subject and also about uh, about the location. So know, mm. knowing about the, the, the circumstances, the kind the, the weather conditions that I can expect, what the light is doing. So then you have sort of like a plan you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get this photograph. So that means that I have to be in this area around that time for this and this mm. species. So that already narrows it down uh, quite a bit. And then still, it's uh, most of it is pure luck.
1: <laughs> After that, once you get, but once you get everything that you can, you can control the controllable, and then that you work or play within that, I guess.
0: Mm. Yeah, and then it's just a matter also of just keep on trying because that's something that most wildlife photographers are very familiar with and also quite comfortable with is it's just you never give up and just keep keep trying because you know the more you try the luckier you get Uh, it it might happen it might never but uh, if you don't try then you're never going to get it
1: okay let's quickly talk about gear for a minute and the gear round is sponsored by MPB, so I believe you're using Nikon equipment. Can you just quickly take me through, this might be a long list, but what's in your bag for a typical, say, safari? It's actually
0: not that super long. Um, I, have, I have a lot of gear, but uh, there's only a, a few bodies and a few lenses that I will always, or almost always bring. So um, because I thought do both landscape and wildlife photography, I basically have two different uh, camera bags. So okay. one bag is my landscape gear bag, and the other is the wildlife bag. So on a, in a, in both bags, I usually have three bodies. I don't like changing lenses, or at least I try to uh, limit it as much as possible. So mm-hmm. I bring three bodies, and I have um, usually four lenses with that. So for my landscape uh, bag, I have a D850, and i have a d5 and i have a z7 or a z7 depending on where you come from mm-hmm. so those are the three bodies that i have and then lenses um, for the landscape usually the longest that i bring is um, an 80 to 400 so that's a zoom lens it's not like super pro quality lens but um, most of the time on landscape trips, I don't need uh, a very long focal length. So instead of bringing like a super large and heavy, uh, I don't know, 400 uh, F 2.8 or something, I just compromise and I go for something that can give me 400 with um, still, uh, still good quality enough for, for what, I, what I want. So that's usually the longest that I bring, and then uh, the, the the three main lenses that I bring are the 70 to 200. That's a 2.8 lens uh, with uh, vibration reduction, and uh, I have a 24 to 70 f4 lens. That is an S lens uh, the, for the that was developed for the Z7, so okay. it's uh, purely for that. And then I have the 14 24. Um, 2.8 which is the F F-mount le- lens and mm-hmm. that uh, is my favorite landscape photography lens uh, I've had that for know oh, yeah, for as long as that lens exists mm-hmm. so uh, those are the most important lenses on those bodies and then on my wildlife trips I have the same bodies. Sometimes I bring uh, an old body a fourth one. If I want to do a remote control camera stuff with uh, animals that may destroy my gear, so then for instance I bring an old D810 or an old uh, D4s because I still have those, and I might put like an old 17 to 35 2.8 on that or uh, or 20 millimeter uh, 1.8, so that's for that kind of stuff and then for the for everything else the same three bodies so d 850 d5 and, uh, and the z7 and then my favorite wildlife photography lens is the 180 to 400 f4 lens with the built-in teleconverter and mm-hmm. that's just uh, oh, that's just an amazing lens so super super sharp and uh, so well balanced and also for me it's easy to hand even um that is, I am used that for a lot of my uh, wildlife photography work, a lot of the safaris and then the lens that I use uh, second most is uh, the 70 to 200 2.8. I usually put that on my d5 so then it's like my the perfect handhold uh, combo so if there's anything happening that goes fast and I need to be super flexible and uh, then then I, then I use that. And i have the 180 to 400 on my d850 even though it's not considered a, like a wildlife uh, body because most people will say it's too slow uh, but I've, i value the the pixels over the over the speed so i just want to end up with large files because then i can also uh crop them and i can for instance for that for a book like this it's just very very nice t- to not have to interpolate anything
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then the 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 yeah, the third body is then the the Z7 and I have that uh, always with it, that uh, dedicated 24 to 70 F4 lens on there. So um, when I'm on Safari actually I have those uh, like just out in the open all three just ready ready to grab. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Well, that's, that's quite a good setup, I think. And uh, do you, are you? I'm just. I'm wondering about internal flights when you're in safari locations. Did you just pay for like an extra, a, a little bit more to have extra luggage? Because you're, I'm sure you've got more than fifteen kgs in the backpack there.
0: Yeah, so the backpack is on average is probably seventeen kilograms, and then my uh, laptop bag is usually between ten and twelve that's just Mm -hmm. because of obviously a laptop is heavy, but I usually put a lot of stuff in there. Uh, That's also heavy, usually a third lens or fourth or a fourth lens, even sometimes uh, a fourth body uh, flash, all my ball heads, uh, brackets, charges, batteries. So that's all heavy stuff. So usually that's very heavy. So in the end, I think it's close to 30 kilograms of Mm -hmm. hand luggage, Um, um, but so far, never had any never had any issues um i'm always very friendly when i check in and if they are curious about the bag and i want to put me want me to put it on the scales uh, obviously it's going to be way too heavy but then usually what i do i just open the bag i show them what's in there and explain what the value is of the contents of that bag and that there's just no way in hell that I'm going to put that bag in uh, in, the, in the hold. And they understand. Obviously, they, will also, they don't want to have the responsibility also for, uh, for yeah. that happening.
1: Thanks again to MPB for sponsoring this show. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for everything that Marcel mentioned. MPB buys, sells and trades thousands of items each week, and everything comes with a six month warranty. Um, okay, uh, that brings us on to a round I call double exposure. And I'm going to ask you about one particular image of yours, uh, which I think looks like an amazing shot. And I wonder if you can well, then I'll throw it back to you to tell me about one particular moment or image from your photography journey that really sticks with you. So I, I had really wanted to talk to you about Iran, but I don't think we're going to have time because the other picture that went kind of went viral last week with you was the picture of this polar bear. Yeah. Um, I saw it pop up so many places last week um, on Instagram, at least. Quite an an amazing shot. Can you tell us a little bit about that one?
0: Yeah. So the, yeah, there's actually not a whole lot to tell because this—that's just one of those <laughs> now. That, that's just one of those examples of where you, you where you actually get lucky and where. Mm-hmm you you get in a zodiac uh, without any expectations and just thinking that you're going to photograph some uh, some floating ice and then um and then suddenly that uh, shows up in front of your viewfinder. Mm-hmm. so there's, there's 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 yeah there's not a lot of creativity or technical skills involved in that particular shot and it's just <laughs> i was just lucky to be at the right place at the right time and um, unfortunately that doesn't happen very often so most of the time you have to work super hard and you're frustrated most of the time but every now and then it's you know you're you're somewhere and just something happens and um, and that's just one of those uh, one of those cases I wish I could mm-hmm. tell you that I I I spent like two winters waiting <laughs> in uh, in a snow cave that I dug out myself, freezing to death. But it's uh, no, it's not the case.
1: Yeah, right place, right time. Well, that's that's something. I mean, I, I'm I'm a big believer in that ethos. You have to put yourself. At least you can do as a photographer is put yourself in the right place at the right time, and then if something happens, you'll be there to get it. So there's a lesson there for sure. So, uh, but it seems to have gone quite big last week so yes, it's on the cover is, yeah. of amateur photographer yeah. i think and always probably good to get more eyes on your work so yeah let me throw it back to you if there's if this might be a really difficult question but if there's a particular moment from your photography journey a picture or just an experience that really sticks with you
0: yeah that's a, that's a very difficult question because there's oh, there's so many images that uh, i have such good memories uh, and I, the easiest answer for me would be to refer to the image that's on the cover of the book because uh, that was an important image for me in many in many ways. Um, that was one of my first publications in uh, National Geographic magazine, and that was already in my first year as a as a professional photographer. So um, when you, when I set out to become a a, a professional nature photographer. Uh, obviously, I had all these goals in my in the back of my head. Like, uh, oh, one day I would like to have this, and one day I would like to achieve that. And uh, then you have something to work towards. And I was I was very surreal that um, just after I started, I got this email from the geo that we saw this in this image and um, we would like to we would like to use it and uh, so and this image is one of those uh, one of those in the images that they were interested in and that was very crucial for my career at that point because it gave me so much exposure so many people uh, then knew who i was so mm-hmm. that's why that image is, uh, is special to me and it's also very special to me because that image embodies everything that I try to get in my photography. So my ideal photograph is a landscape photograph uh, with an animal in it. That's Mm -hmm. just what I like to do most. So that polar bear image is is right up there. So I I like to show a lot of the habitat, uh, a beautiful landscape, and then the animal in there, uh, usually quite small, um, but more like, uh, yeah, to bring the landscape alive. That's mm-hmm. how that's how I see it. You know, I, I can appreciate a good landscape, but um, if there's an animal in it, that just brings the whole thing to life. And then the landscape also it gains so much more more meaning. It's mm-hmm. just not just uh, like beautiful mountains and a beautiful stream. It, it, if there's an animal drinking there, then suddenly you know it becomes much more than that. Mm-hmm. So that's the other reason why that uh, image is so. Uh, uh, important for me, and I have and I have very good memories of when I saw that happening. I, I I still can recall it like like it was yesterday. Because if you're a photographer and something like that happens, you 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 clearly realize immediately like oh my god, once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. I better not mm-hmm. screw this up. And um, so that yeah, so very very hectic few few moments and. Um,
1: yeah very glad that it's all that it all worked out so the, the image we're talking about then is it's an upright image with victoria falls with the elephant on the top is that the one that you're talking about yes yeah i should have mentioned that yeah there's only audio <laughs> yeah it's 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 quite an extraordinary shot though like so you you were just there uh and the elephant yeah wandered we was, along, or how we, yeah. did you come to that
0: I was, I was, this, was, this was during the project for the, uh, for the uh, safari book that we were shooting. So that was at, the, mm-hmm. at the, the, the start of my career. And we were shooting for one of the lodges. And one of the lodges had uh, their, one of their activities that they offered was uh, a visit to what they call Livingston Island, which is a sort of small island right at the edge of Victoria Falls. And so uh, we, we decided to go there and do some shoots. And then we heard from uh, from a local guide that there was uh, there was this lone bull that they, they saw hanging around in the area. And that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, imagine if I can get, a, 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 like, an elephant here mm. uh, with the falls. And um, we decided to hang around a, a little longer. So uh, uh, I had a few more visits. And I eventually got lucky when this... Um, when this actually happened, and um, it's just a very special image because this is the only image of uh, of an elephant at thick Falls, and mm-hmm. it is very, very, very difficult for wildlife photography to create images that uh, that are unique. Yeah. because um, I mean everything has been photographed a gazillion times before, so it gets harder and harder and harder. So to be um, you know, to be lucky enough to to see something like this is really, really special.
1: It's well, it's fantastic. It's amazing that it brings you full circle um, to, to, from all the way back, all the way to the front of your new book. So it's, mm. a, it's a really good, meaningful moment for you. Um, OK, quick fire round before we sign off. If you've got another a couple yeah. of minutes, Marcel. Yeah, sure. OK, let's do it. Wide angle or telephoto?
0: Um, w- what is the telephoto l- length? <laughs> 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 because i if i have to, if you say uh the telephoto is 70 to 200 then I, i'm I'll, i'm probably going to take the 70 to 200
1: okay over the 14 to 24 Yep. uh okay tea or coffee might be easier uh, n- uh well none actually i don't like them, both okay oh, this is very tricky this is a really tricky round okay would you use an expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt
0: um i use uh, these size lens uh,
1: tissues that come pre-packaged uh, very nice very professional um okay what was the last great book movie series or album you experienced one of those
0: i'm currently watching uh, a police series <laughs> called chicago pd it's uh Mm -hmm. it's not very it's not very deep or anything but uh, (laughs) it's very it's very entertaining
1: so after a long day of work it's uh it's nice to yeah you you need that sometimes what's a weird thing i can find in your camera bag (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: such such a good question this (laughs) a weird thing um Well, wow, this is way more difficult than I, than I thought it would be. There's, there's really no uh, no weird. Yeah, there is one weird thing. So I I like to use, on the on the camera that don't have a flip screen. Uh, I use the right angle finder, and uh, the right angle finder you can screw on the on the viewfinder. And for some reason, I always break those. So I okay, and I hit them, and then I break off the entire viewfinder. <laughs> and uh, this is terrible. And I once post, posted about that online on Instagram. And then there was one guy in Lebanon of all places um, that, I, uh, that I've met before. He's a, he's a very nice guy. And he does a lot of 3D printing. And he read about my complaint. And then um, a couple of months later, I got a package. And he sent me something that he designed himself, which was basically... A little piece that I could uh, slide over the right angle finder uh, to avoid it from snapping off, and right. so I have a couple of those in my in my camera bag, and uh, I'm pretty sure no one else has that.
1: Yeah, that's definitely weird. That's a great answer. Okay, name a photographer we should all know about. Favorite photographer?
0: Uh, okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna name a uh, a Dutch photographer. So obviously, I'm also Dutch. And it's a completely different genre than what I shoot. But it's, uh, his name is Erwin Olaf. Um, so that's E-R-W-I-N. That's his first name. And then O-L-A-F. Uh, he's a people photographer. He does portraits, which is everything that I hate. So I don't shoot people I prefer not to. Um, but uh, I've worked with him once when I was still working in advertising. And the way that he works and his dedication and his eye for detail and especially his eye for light and color and, and mood is just, it's so inspiring. So um, I, I absolutely love his work. Um, but when I look at this work, I look beyond the subject matter. I look at everything else. I look at the compositions and I look at, and I'm just looking at those images and I think, how cool would this look if that woman was a
1: lion <laughs> <So that's>, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, get, I do understand that. Uh, last one, Marcel, when do you feel at peace with the universe?
0: Well um, never um, I'm always thinking so I tend to overthink and over rationalize everything so I'm like my mind is never like totally like uh, in a relaxed state. Mm-hmm. But if, I, if I'm out in nature, that's really the, the, the moment that I like, uh, that I like most. Uh, there's a couple of photographs in my new book uh, that I shot in the cypress swamps in the US. And those experiences I count as probably my best uh, wilderness experience that I've ever had. The calmness of floating over the water in pristine wilderness uh the quietness and and the beauty yeah that those are the moments that i feel like wow it's it's, i'm so fortunate and i'm so glad to be alive
1: Mm, that's such a great answer and coming from someone who's uh, traveled as much as you have that that really means something as well i want to thank you so much for your time marcel there's so many other things that we just wouldn't have, have time to get to I really appreciate that. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for everything. I highly recommend that people, that listeners check out the book. It looks like something really, really special. So thanks for your time, Marcel. I wish you all the very best. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Marcel on Instagram and check out his website to find more about his photography, his tours and safaris and the book. Links to all of these things are in the show notes. If you like this episode, then check out my conversations with Jim Richardson, Alex Mustard and Guy Edwards. I think you'll like those. That's all for now. I'll be back with season four in a couple of months. In the meantime, have fun, enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.